Barry White's back. Uh, this is in part vision and this is in part impartation. I'm believing that God's going to use what we do tonight as a springboard for where he's calling us moving forward. There's a vision in this house and we want to share it with you tonight. Notice that we've been talking about revival, 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 revival. But there cannot be revival if there isn't prayer. Revival is always preceded by prayer. Prayer is the instigator of revival. And, and so we want to talk within that context tonight. So if you could turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And then, you know, I know y'all on your digital Bibles, it's all good. But if you got one of them old-fashioned Bibles, keep your finger on Acts chapter 2. And go ahead and turn to Joel chapter 2. Uh, because we're going to be referring to Joel chapter 2. So I just want to make sure you guys are already there as we get there. Um, and if you're there, say amen. amen. Before we get into this, allow me the opportunity to indulge your imagination. Allow me the opportunity to just indulge you in the imagination. Imagine for a second that you're Peter. Y'all remember Peter, right? Imagine that you're Peter and that in introspection you have noticed that God has taken you a long way. For many of you, you know exactly what that looks like when you had your encounter with Jesus. Your encounter with Jesus did not come in a high place, but that your encounter with Jesus came from a low place. Is there anybody with that testimony? It didn't come from the best of situations, but it came out of the worst of situations. It came out of your utter brokenness and despair. And what a privilege that is because it's the gift of God. For the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O oh Lord, do not despise. So imagine having an encounter with Jesus in a moment of brokenness. Imagine meeting him there and all of a sudden your life has been turned around. All of a sudden your life has been changed. All of a sudden everything is different and in kind you respond by giving your life entirely to him. If he changed your life, it compels you to give your life entirely to him. Imagine you were there and you gave him everything. Everything in your life. Everything that was going on. Imagine you giving him three years of your life. Yeah, you gave it all up. All your time was with him. Your journey was with him. Ministry was with him. He gave you purpose. Your purpose was attached to his very presence. Because without him, you were nobody. And now with him, you became somebody. And then in less than a week, just a couple days, that whole thing gets shattered. The whole thing gets turned around. The whole thing gets twisted up. What was success and purpose has now come back to despair. That man that you had met that had changed your life and transformed it, that man now has been put on a cross. You watched him be condemned as a criminal. Watched him get put on a cross. Are y'all with me? 
this is the journey that we find ourselves in. That after watching him get put on a cross, after watching him breathe his last, watched him go into a grave, you found yourself in a room again in utter despair. And it was in that room that he met you again. Imagine this, this Jesus that was dead was now alive again. And he encounters you and he meets you in that room. And then he says to you, I'm leaving, but I'm bringing a promise. I'm leaving, but I'm bringing a helper. I'm bringing, but I'm, I'm leaving, but I'm bringing my, my, my spirit. <laughs> I, I, I'm bringing my spirit. So all you got to do is watch and pray. Uh, imagine you're Peter and you did that very thing. You watched and then you prayed and then you prayed and then you prayed in anticipation of the promise that was coming. And 50 days later, just a little over two weeks, that promise came. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon you and it manifested physically in you in such a way that even the people, when they saw it manifest in you, were confused. Yo, people were lost. People were confused. They were trying to make sense of what was actually happening. They were trying to understand what was transpiring in that moment. And that brings us now to Acts chapter 2, verse 12. For in Acts chapter 2, verse 12, these people, the text tells us that they were all amazed and they were all perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others then mocked him, saying that he was full of wine. And of course, in the void of understanding, in the gap and in the confusion, Peter then responds and says, we're not that kind of people. <laughs> And so with audacious confidence, he says, we ain't drunk, it's the middle of the day. Right? We ain't that kind of people. <laughs> Peter was inferring now to something that they were expecting that has now been manifested and it is here that we see that Peter has now been presented with his motivation to preach what I would call the first revival sermon. And in that first revival sermon, he cracks the scriptures open and he opens it in, in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And if we read in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, what we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, if you can go there real quick. Oh, I'm going to preach tonight. Is that all right if I preach? In verse 16, this is what it says. Peter now who stands on the stage to respond to the confusion in the crowd says this in verse 16. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. 
the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great awesome day of the Lord and it shall come to pass that he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to preach tonight on this particular topic, battle posture. Look at somebody and say battle posture. Um, ask them, do you have your posture right? Do you have your posture right? Father, I ask right now, as we engage in your word, Father, speak to me. Speak through me. Lord, inspire and breathe through me the breath of your word that we will all be encouraged and inspired and moved, Lord God, convicted, Lord, to move as you desire us to move. And I ask that in your name we pray, amen and amen. Let's give God a praise in here. <laughs> Say it one more time, battle posture. Battle posture. <laughs> battle Thank you so much, Jeff D. That's my boy right there. Let's give God a praise for our musicians. Man, the worship team, so awesome, so incredible uh, for setting the stage for us tonight. Um, as we read in this text, what we find is, is that Peter is responding to the confusion in the crowd. Peter finds it fitting that the response to the surprise and the utter confusion of the mass, his first revival sermon, for it to be found in this particular portion of scripture. Because what he was noticing and what he was implying as he was reading this is that the terror and the confusion by the crowd as to what was transpiring in that moment was a result of the fact that they were not expecting anything. He noticed that they were confused because the reality is, is that they were not expecting revival. It's been seven weeks, fam. Jesus has died. Jesus was dead and he was gone but the disciples they knew better the disciples knew that he was and is alive they experienced him they they spoke to him he met them and because of that they knew that he had promised them out of the evidence now of the holy spirit being poured out upon him not only was he alive but that he was present among them that is, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came the corporeal reality of Jesus Christ on the earth through his people, the body of Christ. If the Holy Spirit has been poured out, then Jesus is here. I want you to turn to somebody and say, he's here. I want you to write in the chat right now, say, he's here. He's here. He's here. This is not something now that we're anticipating. It's something that is a reality right now. He is here. That should be a word of conviction, but it should be a word of encouragement because wherever Jesus is present, there is freedom. Wherever Jesus is present, there's liberty. Wherever Jesus is present, there's breakthrough. Wherever Jesus is present, there's joy. Wherever Jesus is present, there's revival. The presence of God instigates revival. Revival. God can't be in a place for that place to remain the same. God cannot enter your life. Jesus cannot enter into your situation for your situation to remain the same way. Something's got to change. Something has to transform. God is a life changer. He is a world shaker. That is exactly what he does. And so here, because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there's an instigation of revival. Revival is an incidence, fam. 
that is only surprising to people who weren't expecting it. Can I say that one more time? For those who weren't expecting revival, revival is a surprise. But for the disciples who just spent seven weeks praying and seeking the face of God, praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, praying that God can move, they prayed with expectation. They were not surprised. As a matter of fact, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was a resolution. It was a resolution of what they were praying for, what they were expecting. Can I just take a pause real quick? You can't pray without expectation. All right, I'm preaching by myself today. Um, that's all right. I'm, y'all, are y'all with me back there? Good. I hope somebody's with me. I came to preach for you guys to preach back at me. It's all right. Don't be shy. Uh, um, um, when you pray, you must pray with expectation. If you're going to pray for something, better expect to get it. If you're not expecting to get what you pray for, then stop praying. Because prayer with lack of faith does not result in anything. If you're praying without faith, and if you're praying without expectation, you are wasting your breath and you are wasting your time. But when you pray expecting something, Jesus commanded us, he said, pray and believing. You will receive it. Oh, they prayed for revival, but they didn't pray wondering whether or not it would happen. Oh, I'm by myself today. They prayed expecting it to happen. Look at somebody and say, are you expecting it? Are you expecting it? Because if we're going to see revival in our city, we have to pray, not asking God if it will happen. But to tell God and command God and say, God, it's got to happen. There's too much going on in my city. It's got to happen. There's too much going on in my community. It's got to happen. If the next movement surprises you, then you've been praying wrong. (laughs) If the next movement seems accidental to you, then you weren't doing it right. If you're praying for anything in your life and it happens to you by surprise, you are doing it wrong. You've got to expect God to do something. You know the problem is? The problem is, is that when people pray, they pray with permission for it not to happen. Oh, they're not with me today. Uh, 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 We pray asking God if it would be your will. (laughs) As if God didn't want you healed. As if God didn't want to be present. As if God didn't want to heal your marriage. As if God didn't want to give you children. As if God didn't want to heal your life. As if God didn't want to bring your family back together. When you pray, you must pray with expectation that God's about to move. And I don't know about you, but is there anybody expecting God to do something in their life? Is there anybody expecting God to turn some things around? Instead of waiting on God, why don't you become the move of God? Instead of waiting on God to move, why don't you become the move of God? Instead of waiting for God to do something, why don't you take into action the very thing that you've been praying for? You are the move of God. Look at somebody and tell them, you are the move of God. You are the move of God. God ain't doing anything else on this earth. You are the move of God. If he's doing anything here, he's doing it through you. And now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask for or think. How? According to the power that worketh in you. You are the move of God. Oh, y'all want to give me some time? 
because we have a lot of passivity in our prayer. We pray as if we're waiting. We need to pray as if we're anticipating. Wait on the Lord and he shall renew your seat. He didn't say sit down and look. He said sit down and anticipate. Move like it's already happened. (laughs) We sometimes move hoping it will happen. You got to move like it's already happening. I'll preach that another day. It seems fitting in this text that Peter would use Joe chapter 2. Are y'all with me here? All right. Uh, I'm not there yet. Uh, It seems fitting that Peter, of all the references that he can use, of all the verses and the texts throughout the Old Testament that give reference to the coming revival, that Peter would use Joel chapter 2. That was always interesting to me. That of all the verses that he could open up on that particular subject, that Peter would open up Joel chapter 2. You see, the difference between uh, 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 us and, and, and the children of Israel at that time, the Hebrews' new context, because they had a good knowledge of the scripture. They knew the book of Joel, and they knew the book of Joel in its totality. So when Peter references the book of Joel, they know exactly what Peter is doing. Are y'all with me? They know exactly what Peter is doing when he's using the book of Joel. When Peter begins to speak, referencing that scripture, they knew that he was making inferences. When Peter is using the scripture here, they know that there's other context to the scripture itself. Because there's something that Peter is trying to point to. You see, Peter was making an inference. He was connecting what was happening in that moment to what was promised way back then. But at the same time, contemporaneously, Peter is also connecting the people in this moment to the people in that moment. Can I preach? Uh, He's not just connecting what happened then to what's happening now. What was prophesied then to what's happening now. But he was connecting the the people now to the people then. Uh, So let me give you some context. Is that all right? Because now we got to go back to the book of Joel to understand exactly why Peter used the book of Joel. So go ahead and turn your Bibles real quick to Joel chapter 1. Because in Joel chapter 1... Peter now begins to, you begin to understand exactly why it was that Peter would use this scripture. In the first chapter of Joel, it opens up by saying this, hear this you elders, listen all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? This is how Joel opens up fam. Verse three, he says, Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. Verse four, what the locust swarm has left, great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other Locusts have eaten. (laughs) Let me stop there. (laughs) There's no consensus here. Let me make sure I break this down. There's no consensus here as to who or what the locusts represent. Okay, different theologians have different thoughts about this. 
Some scholars believe that the locusts represented the pagan nations of that time. You know, the Babylonians, the Mesopotamians, that, that's what they believed. Others argue that the locusts were actually physical locusts, actual locusts who ravaged the land and by consequence took away their livelihood. Today, I'm not here to get into that discourse. That's not what I'm actually concerned with. Either way, we can know this, that what is certain is that the children of Israel are in distress. Are y'all with me? They're in either socio-political distress or they're in economic distress. Either way, they're in distress. They're in distress because they've lost some things. They've lost some things. The things that the locusts have eaten. The locusts have eaten away at a multiplicity of dimensions of their lives. The locusts, the locusts, they've lost their livelihood. They've lost their work. They've lost their money. They've lost land. They've lost family. And by consequence, they've lost joy. They've lost peace. They've lost shalom. Mm -hmm. and what's interesting about this verse is is they didn't see it coming they didn't see it coming they didn't see it coming Joel said has anything like this ever happened before have we, have we ever seen anything like this have we ever seen anything like this all these the young lo locusts after locusts after locusts after locusts just taking whatever's left and anything that's left, the other one comes in and takes what is left. We haven't seen anything like that. Hmm. They've never seen locusts take away their livelihood. They've never seen locusts take away their family. They've never seen a virus shut down a city. They've never seen people lose work because of a virus and just when the virus hit another locust came they'd never seen something like Ahmaud Arbery didn't see a George Floyd they, they weren't ready for that they weren't ready for the businesses that would be lost the jobs that would be lost family members that would be lost they didn't see the riots coming. Come on. And don't let me go with that electoral circus. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. <laughs> they never seen anything like that. <laughs> we can all agree with that. <laughs> never seen none of that. And if we've seen them, we've seen them isolated from one another. But have we ever seen a multiplicity of crises hit us like this in one year? Not in my lifetime. And then the words came. 2020 is trash. Delete 2020. Throw 2020 away. This year is trash. I saw a ridiculous... 
I saw a ridiculous commercial. The Match.com, you know what's the Match.com commercial? Where Satan finds his perfect match and his perfect match is 2020. <laughs> check it on, check it on YouTube later. The cultural consensus has been that this year is not a year to remember. It's a year to forget. The cultural consensus has been this year took too much from us. This year stole a lot from us because nothing seemed to go right this year. Ah, in Joel chapter one, verse 11, it says the harvest of the field has perished. It said the vine dried up and the fig tree along with the pomegranate tree, along with the palm tree, along with the apple tree, all the trees, none of them making fruit withered away and then the prophet even says surely joy has withered away in the sons of men surely the people of God gotta be depressed surely the people of God gotta be mourning surely the people of God gotta just give up surely Joy has left. Side note. This sounds more like 2019. More than it sounds like 2020. And yet this is the season of mourning. What do you do when life doesn't go the way you want it? What do you do when it hits the fan? I'm Christian. I can't say the other word. What does God's people do when everything has been torn away? When locust after locust after locust has come to ravage your life, your family, your job, your business, all of it. What do you do? Well, my brothers and sisters, Go to Joel chapter 2. This is what you do. What is the first word there? Blow the trumpet of Zion. Sound the alarm. Let all who live in the Lord tremble. Because the day The day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. The prophet, after all they've been through, said no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've gone through, it ain't over yet. The day of the Lord is at hand. Look at somebody and say the day of the Lord is coming. 
It doesn't seem to be going right, but the day of the Lord is coming. Look at somebody else. Tell them. Put it in the chat right now. Write it right now. The day of the Lord is coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. You see, praise is not always a response to what happens to you. Praise is often an anticipation for what is about to happen in your life. Maybe it's not going the way you expected, but if you can praise God for where you're about to go and what God's about to do, because God ain't giving up on you, you shouldn't give up on your praise. Look at somebody say, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. You have to believe it. You have to believe it, fam. You got to speak it. Speak things that are not as though they are. And yet this is Peter's tone in this text. Are y'all with me? Uh, uh, What Peter is saying here, he's saying is, we've been through it. But we've seen the risen Christ. Did y'all catch that? We've gone through a lot, fam. But we've seen the risen Christ. And we know what he said to us. It's coming. And it has come. That always messes people up. When they see verses, the time has come and now is. Is it coming or is it not? Yes. Is it happening or is it not? It, it is coming and it has come. In that moment, the future and the past become present realities. It has come and it is coming. It has come, that means... I've experienced the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come. He's poured out upon me. Christ is alive and he's living through me. But it is coming because there are those who don't have him yet. It is coming and it has come. It is coming. Because there are those we still need to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on. There are those that still need Jesus. I may have him, but other people don't. So when he's prophesying, he's giving a present reality. This is what happened, that has happened to me, but this is what I need to happen to you. And so now, as he's prophesying in Joel chapter 2, he's saying what is coming has come and what has come is coming. Y'all catch it later. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh has instigated something in us. It's instigated a prophetic unction in us that now our sons and our daughters will prophesy. This Holy Spirit that's been poured out upon us, young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Y'all heard it already. So he's saying what you heard that is going to happen is happening. And what is happening is going to happen. <laughs> he's saying it's happening now. It's happening now. It's happening now. It's happening now. Are we waiting for it? It's happening now. Are we waiting for a move of God? Or is it happening now? Are we waiting for God to do something? No. It's happening now.
How is it happening now? It's happening now because you exist. Oh, y'all ain't with me. You've been waiting for a move of God, but you are the move of God. And now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask for or think. Ready for this? Ready for this? You are the body of Christ. It's not you will be the body. You are the body. So when you walk, Jesus walks. When you move, Jesus moves. When you talk, Jesus talks. When you raise your hand, Jesus raises his hand. When you prophesy, Jesus is prophesying. We're waiting on Jesus to move and Jesus is waiting on us. The problem is we're still waiting for revival and he's had, and he's saying, I gave you my spirit. I already inspired you. All you got to do is move because from here on out, when I move, he moves. Greater is he that is around me. By the way, I'm going to get to my point. <laughs> I got to build up to this. Because the people that Peter is inferring about, he's talking and he's telling a people about a people. When, when Jesus is using Joel chapter 2, he is talking to a people about a people. Y'all got that? And what he's doing, now I'm bringing it all in. What he's doing now is, is of all, remember all the references he could have used, he used this. Because he wanted to point to the people. Come on. Yeah. He's talking about a people. Somebody said, he's talking about a people. He's talking about a people. What are the people that he's talking about? What would these people be like? What should we expect of these people? What, how do these people move? How does this body of Christ move? Look at verse 3. Preceding verse 16, this is what he says. He says, these people, fire will come before them and after them. In verse 4, he says, they'll be like a cavalry of chariots. Verse 5, they will come with what? Noise. Verse 6, they would bring people to anguish at their very sight. Verse 7, they march in line, never breaking rank. Verse 8, they will rush the city and run the walls. Verse 10, they enter into houses, climbing through windows like thieves. These people that he's talking about will shake the earth and darken the skies. Joel is talking about an army. He's prophesying in Joel chapter 2 about an army that's about to come.
I hope y'all with me here. I hope y'all catching me. Joel was prophesying about an invasion. He was prophesying about an infiltration. Joel is calling an army. Nobody calls an army unless there's a battle. You, you don't call an army unless there's a fight. Unless there's an enemy. Unless there's an opposition that needs to be confronted. No one calls an army. I look at this text and I'm beginning to realize this doesn't look like a people who just come just to be family. Just to chill and vibe. Kumbaya with each other. Nah, 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 nah. He's talking about an army that's come to address a principality. And in this army, he tells us right there in verse 11 who the commander of the army is. That the commander of the army is Jesus himself. I want you just to put it in the chat, I want you to say it in the room. We're in a battle. Right there, we're in a battle. Say it out loud, we're in a battle. You need to start believing that we're in a battle. And Jesus is the general. Too often, we present Jesus as this soft, lovey-dovey, shampoo model who only kisses babies and hugs widows. But we forget that Jesus is multidimensional. He may be the gentle pastoral lamb, but he's the lion of Judah. He is the commander of the army. What does the Bible say in Psalm 24? It says, who is the king of glory? The king that is strong and mighty. The king that is mighty in battle. He says, lift up your head. O ye gates, and be ye lifted up the everlasting doors. Jesus is a general. Jesus is a warrior. Jesus is a fighter. We are in a battle. And the travesty, I'm sorry if I get angry for a second, but the travesty is, is this generation wants a church that's vibing. We want to come and just catch a vibe. Come and just chill <laughs> like you know we're just here you know just to enjoy ourselves you know get to know each other hug and just be cool how's that been working this generation cannot position or posture itself for the sake of having a good time we cannot be a have a have a good time type of church this is not a fun church. This is not a cool church. This is a warring church. This is a church that's got to get down and say it's time for us to get serious about this because the lives are on the line. Souls are on the line. Families are on the line. Marriages are on the line. People are on the line. And if we're going to what God wants to take us next, we got to be pastured in war. Look at somebody and tell them we're in a battle. We're in a battle. We're in a battle. We're fighting, y'all. We're fighting for our families. We're fighting for our city. We're fighting for our community. We are fighting, fam. And the travesty is we spent so much time vibing. We don't see how divorces are ravaging our church. We spend so much time vibing. We don't see how sexual immorality has ravaged our church. We spend so much time vibing, we don't realize that our church is plagued by depression. 
We spend so much time vibing and catching a vibe that we don't realize that our church is losing purpose. That the locusts have come in and have eaten away because the church has not been postured in war. Lives are being lost. Suicidal thoughts are taking over our church. Families are getting torn apart. Children are getting ripped apart. Marriages are getting ripped apart. We're losing our peace. We're losing our sanity. We're losing our joy, but we want to catch a fire. This is not an invitation. This is an invasion. We got to infiltrate. We got to step up. The church got to rise up and step out and be ye separated. We can't speak revival if we don't posture ourselves right and say that it's time for us to go into war. And the reason why that we can go into war with confidence is because Jesus is the general and Jesus has already won. I want you to write in the chat battle posture. I'm almost done. Give me another hour. I'm just, just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. The reason why we can speak with audacity is because of who our general is. The question is this though, will you fight? Twenty twenty one is not the year of vibes. Did y'all catch that? Twenty twenty one is not the year where we get to dress real cool, look real nice, and just do the little churchy thing. Twenty twenty one is not a year to say, I just showed up to hang out, so I'm good. Twenty twenty one is not, well, I'm doing alpha, so is that all right? Is that good? 2021 is not the year where you check off the box. Your soul's on the line. Somebody say battle posture. Battle posture. You've been wondering why is the enemy ravaging my life? Because you're not fighting. You're just waiting. Waiting on a move of God. Waiting on a breakthrough. I'm sorry if I got to go here, but the Lord's leading me here. Waiting. Waiting. I'm just waiting for God to do his thing. I'm just waiting for God to move. And God is saying, you are the move. So fam, what is our battle posture? What is your posture of battling? You say, all right, I'm ready to fight. Some of y'all ready to fade right now. Who I got to fade? And you realize, you realize if you're thinking that way, you're thinking wrong. Because Joel chapter 2 tells us how we fade. Look at verse 12. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. You see, he's calling his army. But you can't fight without repentance. 
Wow. This is where it don't get popular. I didn't come to preach a popular sermon. 2021 is our year. Let's go, Pastor. Let's just get there. And yet you're walking into D-Day with a pencil. Verse 13, he says, rend your hearts and not your garments. Cliff note version. Your repentance needs to be private, not public. Because your public repentance has been fake. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest hypocrisies is fake public humility. And yet God is saying, I need you to spend time with me in private. And seek my face in private. There will not be revival from public posturing. And you don't need somebody. I know it's going to get tough, but I just love y'all, so I got to say it. People will know where you're at. If you're not praying in private, it emanates out of you. Because people will smell the stench of death on you. When you're not praying in private, and yet when you pray, and spend time in the face of God and spend time in presence with him, you come out with the glow. Moses spent time with God and when he came down from the mountain, people couldn't even look at him because the glory of God emanated out of him. Church, we got a praying problem. We don't seek his face. We just want to go to church. Ah, but the scriptures say, return to the Lord your God. Look what it says there. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and has great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. God ain't trying to hurt you. So why are you hiding? He's waiting. He's waiting. And what God is saying is what's coming out of you in this next season is going to be a product of the time you spend alone with him. He's, what God's about to do with you next season has nothing to do with how much Bible you know or how much you understand scripture. Satan knows scripture. So that don't qualify you. Your transformation is going to come out of the time that you spend alone with God. Our church is not praying. We are not seeking his face. And we wonder why the enemy is ravaging you. Ah, but if you're going to see revival, look at verse 14. It says, who knows if you will return and relent. But if he does, leave a blessing behind a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. If there's going to be revival, there needs to be generosity. If you want to see God move, you're going to have to be generous. They say, wait, so are you saying I need to give? No, you're going to need to give everything. Your life. I'm not talking about your tithes and your offerings. If that's hard for you, then you're already real small. 
But it's more than that. It's all of your life. It's your time. It's your effort. You want revival. But he's saying that your response is generosity. You're not doing it to go to heaven. You're doing it to see God move. And you give because you're compelled by what Jesus gave to you. That's why we said the that generosity is our say battle posture. The last one. If you're going to be the move of God, you need to consecrate. He says in the scripture right here. Oh, this is one side note. I just like this. I just want to share it with y'all because I think it's important for me to share. So I'm gonna share it, and then we're gonna close. In verse 17, he says, "Let the priests." who minister to the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. What stands between the porch and the altar? The people. Leave your house, but don't get on the stage. Did you catch that? This season, the ministers need to pray. And it's not get on a stage and lead prayer. Yes, Sit your butt down. Yes, and spend time in prayer. Come on, sir. I know, Pastor, you're going to get a little tough because I love y'all. But here's the reality. If the minstrels aren't praying, how can there be revival? If you're not in the presence, how can you usher the presence? Even the pastors and the leaders. This year, in 2021, I'm measuring your leadership by the amount of time you spend on your knees. Not the amount of time you spend on a mic. Or, or on an instrument. or on No, it's time that the minstrels, the leaders, the pastors pray. And the church should call you out if you're not. But this is the confidence we have, church. That if we pray, it comes with a promise. (laughs) Because Joel 18 tells us this. He says, after you do these things, after you consecrate, after you give, after you fast, after you repent, after you do these things he says then the Lord will be zealous with the land and will pity his people the Lord will answer and say to his people behold I will send you grain new wine somebody say new wine new oil somebody say new oil now this isn't for salvation this is for revival you were already chosen by God. You ain't got to worry about that. But I don't know if there's some people in here that say, God, I want to see more. I want to see you do more. I want to see people healed. I want to see revival. I want to see fresh wind. I want to see the Lord do some good things. And then in verse 22, he says, the Lord has done marvelous You can't 
Okay, y'all missed it. Oh, anybody who's going through something right now? All right. Pray. Don't wait for somebody to pray for you. Pray. Don't wait. Pray. Because when you pray, he does exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask for or think. When you pray, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man. When you pray, you cannot lose because the Spirit of God is living in you. He gives you the victory. He declares unto you that you are more than a conqueror. He's already won the battle. Jesus has already paid it all. The power of sin has been broken. He died and he rose from a grave. All he's asking you to do now is pray. So what motivates us to pray, fam, is that we already have authority. Yes. What are you scared of? Fam, what you scared of? He, you already have authority. He's given it to you. He's made you his child. You have access to what he has access to. Yes. He's given you Prayer is the ticket to the power. And I was like, I'm trying to figure this out. Stop trying to figure it out. Just do it. Pray. Your battle posture is not going to be with your hands up. It's going to be with your head down on your knees. And if you pray, he says in verse 23, for he has given you the former rain faithfully. And because you pray, he will cause the rain to come down, the former rain and the latter rain. I don't have time to break that down. I'm not intending to do that. The former rain is the seeding rain. The latter rain is the reaping rain and what God is saying is is he's saying you're getting the seeding and the reaping rain at the same time you don't gotta wait <laughs> it's happening now you, you don't need to wait for the latter rain it's happening now the kingdom of God is in you he's already doing it for you it's been promised and it's, it's happened the script, look, the way it's like, and it said the former rain then the latter rain he said former rain and the latter rain in the first month the reason why you can pray is because you're still here oh they missed it you can pray because he gave the former rain faithfully he, that's what the scriptures say he gave you the former rain you can pray because 2020 wasn't trash. You can pray because the locust came, but he brought the rain. Yeah. Oh, y'all ain't with me. The locust came, but he brought the rain. COVID-19 came, but he brought the rain. 
Layoffs came. But he brought the rain. I don't know if anybody got that testimony right now. The, the, the riots came. But he brought the rain. I want you to put it in the chat. He brought the rain in 2020. He brought the rain in 2020. Oh, y'all don't believe it. I guess you guys haven't seen it yet. So let me help you out. In 2020, families got pregnant. In 2020, babies were born. In 2020, some bodies got healed. In 2020, some businesses were formed. In 2020, some debts got paid off. In 2020, some people graduated. Oh, y'all ain't with me. For 2020, some people got better jobs. In 2020, some people got financially stable. In 2020, somebody became an uncle. In 2020, kidneys were found. Our God has done great things. 2020 was not a trash year. 2020 was a seed year. And he's saying, I'm giving you the seed and the fruit at the same time. I'm giving you the former and the latter. So for anyone who's watching this, for anyone who's in this room, if you came here discouraged, for a moment, look back at this year and ask yourself, was it really all bad? Or was God still at work? Because what I love about the scripture is he gave us the years. He didn't say, I'll just restore things. He said, I'll restore years. Did I hear somebody graduate in less time than they should have? Did I hear some people having plans for 2021 because of 2020 and everything that they had going on? They might as well just have done it this year. Did 2020 not create albums Zamar? Did 2020 not fast forward some things? Did you not have some time restored in your life? Because of 2020? And the things that were wasting your life somehow wasted away in 2020? What if I told you that the locusts ate the right stuff? What if I told you the locusts ate the right stuff in your life? You should have been left that job. They left you, and now you got a better one. Give God a praise for that. And that guy you shouldn't have been with, he left you. Now he's giving you a better one. That relationship that you should have left, he's giving you a better one. God has been turning it around because he wants to do a new thing. A new thing. A new thing. Look at somebody say, a new thing. A new thing. Is there anybody with a testimony that says, our God has done great things? Is there anybody with a testimony? We couldn't say that in 2019. I will say this. 2020, with COVID and everything else, was one of the best years of my life. There's some people who will testify this right now. And they will say, 2020 healed my marriage. There's some people that are going to say, 2020 brought me kids. 2020 started my business. 
So guys, we can pray. We can pray because he's already given us the former rain. Father, I thank you right now. Lord, as we step into this place in this season, Lord, as we enter into this new year, Father, we're giving you praise. We're giving you glory. We're giving you honor for what you have already done for you have done great things. And because of that, Lord, we are anticipating where you're taking us next. And not only are we anticipating where you're taking us next, but we're believing that you are giving us the confidence to step into prayer. So, Father, Lord, bring us back to you. Draw us near to you. Teach us to focus on you that we may seek your face this year. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen and amen.